Welcome to the Above Board Podcast, where we are going to talk about, I don't know, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today, kind of go through all the things that we've been working on. Sounds good to me, sounds good to me. Super unprofessional. I put a candy in my mouth just before I hit record, and I'm like, I can't actually talk. Oh, with a candy that's in a candy. my mouth. It okay. was a candy. It's not anymore. I always assumed you had some kind of like speech impediment that came up randomly, and it's actually a candy. Yeah, just like eating candy. <laughs> I could, I could have some unknown speech hell? impediment, but yeah, mostly just eating candies. So. That's really funny. Well, today, today, who doesn't love candy? I actually have a story about candies. So. Uh, my wife and I watch uh, American football, NFL, and every year we get, and we play pick'ems where you get to pick, uh, you, get to, you get to basically bet with no money involved on which team you think is going to win. And they have this contest every year where you submit um, the barcode from a pack of candy and win prizes. I think we've done this for four years, and every year we've won a prize. Like, we're, we're four for four, in pri- and the prizes aren't, like, anything big. But we've, what have we won? We've basically won jerseys and sweatshirts. Wow. Like every single year. So like, I have to go buy a pack of Skittles today because I want to enter (laughs) this contest because I want to win um, some jersey uh, and then sell it on Craigslist or eBay or whatever. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about today. Well, I mean, I guess it is what we've talked about. We ran yeah, a survey. I, no, no, there's something really, really oh. funny that I've got to say before. Sure. So, like, why you've left Twitter, right? You've taken a break from Twitter. That's yes. really, it's good, it's good to take a break from Twitter. I'm sure there's benefits. But what you never consider is that I'm left on Twitter and people <laughs> see that you're gone. So people tweet me and they say, oh, where's Paul gone? Where's Paul gone? And I get this all the time. Every time you disable your account, I get tweets. So the Do other they day, really? Or are oh, you just yeah, trolling dude. me? No, no, okay. it's for real. <laughs> and the other day I got a tweet saying, oh, has Paul left Twitter? And I said, no, Paul was at army boot camp. And I basically <laughs> convinced two people that you're at army boot camp. And then one, one guy's like, what do you mean he's at army boot camp? Isn't he running Fathom? And I said, yeah, Paul, he basically runs Fathom between the drills when his drill sergeant lets him. Like so, in between sets of push-ups. Exactly. So I'm, they I'm now think cats. that you're in the army. He's saying, like, why, does he, why is he in the army? I said, because he believes he needs to protect Canada <laughs> from all the invaders, like all oh, the people God. that want to invade Canada. Oh, God. So people think you're in the army now. Ah, okay. All right. That's, that sounds plausible, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So we ran a customer survey. The last week, I guess two weeks ago when this airs, which is uh, pretty interesting. Oh, and we've run a bunch of surveys before. You remember when we used to send like single sentence surveys to people in the early <laughs> yeah. days when we were like yep. um, debating features and it was just like a Boolean survey, like, yeah, I want it. No, I don't kind of thing. Yeah. So we actually ran a bigger survey um, last week. So we brought on um, uh, a new freelance writer who I'm really excited about. Because she does amazing, she does amazing writing. She's written for a bunch of other people that we've known and that I've known over the years. And so I think it'll be nice to have um, like a professional writer. I guess I'm, 
no, I'm not really a professional writer. I've written books, but well, I'm not really a, you can't, not really well, a pro. You, well, you are, but whatever. Yeah, I guess in, in terms of Fathom, I'm not a professional writer because I also do support and design and all the other stuff. Like, it's just, it's good to take some things off of our plates, we're realizing, mm, yeah. because we have a lot <laughs> on our plates. So yeah. we ran a survey. Yeah, I guess lots of people replied to it as well, which I was, I was really stoked on. And because we didn't, it wasn't just a multiple choice survey. Because the survey related to content, we needed to actually ask questions where people could type into the box yep. and write actual answers. Um, so we could start to see um, what people were saying about Fathom and, and the words that they were using. And we're going to use this survey um, with the the help of the new writer that we brought on, she's going to analyze the results and kind of put together a plan for content, um, which I'm really, really excited about because I think that that's that's really fun. So that's one thing we're working on. We've also launched a newsletter. Um, Well, we haven't really launched it. We've we've added the form (laughs) to our website to start collecting emails. And I guess we were going to use MailChimp for this because obviously I know MailChimp. but then we didn't, and I was a little bummed about that. So what happened was um, we were going to use um, the system that we use for all our other emails, Postmark. Um, but that requires work on your end, and your plate's full. So we were like, <laughs> yeah. let's take this off of Jack's plate, uh, and I could do it. If it was just in MailChimp, then I could take all of the things. I could send the emails. I could manage the list and all of that. So I was setting it up. It it it. it, it it's not a short amount of time to set up a MailChimp account from scratch. And so I was setting it up and I, I got to the journey section, which used to be called automations, I think. And I set up a, a welcome email. And, and as I usually do, I was like, okay, I've set this up. Now I want to turn off. I want to make this privacy first. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, okay, I want to disable tracking pixels. I want to disable um, tracking links and opens because we don't want that data. Like, I don't, we're a privacy first company. We don't want to yeah, do that. We don't need it. And so I was looking for the setting and there isn't a setting. And I was like, no, this, this isn't right. So I contacted support and luckily, <clears throat> luckily support um, is available basically all day. I think they might have 24 seven support. I don't actually know. So I contacted support for MailChimp and they were like, yeah, you can't turn that off. And I was like, but I used to be able to. Like the reason I use MailChimp is because I used to be able to do that. And you can do it in campaigns when you're just sending like a normal blast. So I'm like, how come you can't do it in journeys? And they're like, well, it's, it's just not possible. And I was like, no. And then I was talking to you and I was like, I don't think we can use MailChimp. And you're like, yeah, I don't think we can. And so we can't. And so we don't. And so they're now too we big just... to notice, dude. Like they, they probably haven't even yeah. noticed the desire for people that they don't want to track things. They're just too they're too big. They're huge. Yeah. I mean they don't they don't want to have a an option to add Fathom's code to uh landing pages either. <laughs> No, and ConvertKit uh, have been asked multiple times, and and seen yeah. on Twitter people asking ConvertKit. We'll see what happens there, but you know whatever. happens. Yeah, I'm open to it. I'm super open to that Mailchimp and or uh, ConvertKit. But so yeah, that, so we're not doing that. So now we're just so, going to send emails through Postmark. Yeah, and the newsletter is something we've kind of held off on for a while, but now we're moving into having more content. It's going to be more needed. So in terms of how we do content. We're pretty much, I write about technical stuff. I can write about the privacy side of things and I have done, but my 
where I truly excel is writing about technical stuff because I like telling the story about how we're expanding our infrastructure or how we're making changes and it provides a ton of value for people. Sometimes they're not ever going to become Fathom customers. It doesn't really matter. It's mm-hmm. still just valuable content and the community enjoys it. And then you write some kind of, you write quite high level uh, thought pieces on big tech and various things like that, like the content that's coming out that has come out last week (laughs) by now is about big tech and how it relates to whether the problem is having too much power and various other things so you have your and you've written about the black hole make your website a big black hole a big tech you write those kinds of things so what i'm hoping our new freelance is going to do is yeah tie into the this the um the survey results but i've seen a lot of people talking about being small businesses running a website etc it would be really cool if we could start producing value in that area as well so Mm -hmm. fathom isn't just about the big tech part and also the the nerdy stuff that i'm doing we can actually help people with growing their websites and growing their businesses which then if that starts to pick up also then loops you in if you can actually i guess find the motivation to write about that because you've written about that for probably 20 plus years yeah. by now yeah that's so, not gonna happen no very am done but, writing about that but still though, that kind of stuff is valuable and that's why you had thirty thousand people on your newsletter you're done with that i mean that's you've mm-hmm. paid your dues but it would be interesting to see that kind and dude you haven't seen this but on twitter the other day uh, Sahil from Gumroad launches his book and it's called The Minimalist Entrepreneur. And someone posted a link to your article and said it sounds similar. I don't know how similar it is. It's probably like, you know, crossover between everyone's thoughts and, and whatever <laughs> else. But people are still finding your content, which is just, it's funny. So yeah. there's clearly still a desire for that. And I'm hoping that the new freelancer might, I don't know what she'll do, but I'm hoping that some of it will, um, I hope the survey results will come into that. Because I think there's a, there's a, a need for it. Yeah, I agree. And it's not, I don't want to be the one. I've written about that too much. Like, No, I know you have. <laughs> I started sense. Fathom to get away from that kind of stuff. So, No, it makes yeah. sense. But now the newsletter can act as distribution because we haven't. So every time I, well, how did we get to the newsletter? This is an interesting yes, kind of, bit I agree. of insight. I wrote a technical, I'd write technical blog posts and I'd be able to email thousands of people whenever I launch it. And that helps them boost the, um, the blog post. Yeah, because you have a newsletter through your course. Cool. Yeah, exactly. And that always helps yeah. boost it. Because again, I'm writing for, to, to give them value, right? It's free value, basically. It's like, uh, we spent hours doing this. Here's how to do yeah. it. And it's helped tons of people. So we don't have that with Fathom. So we could write a killer Fathom article and we've got no form of distribution outside of tweeting. And people on our Twitter don't really care about our articles that much, or even the Twitter algorithm at least doesn't. Let, let's put it mm-hmm. that way. People probably do, but the Twitter algorithm doesn't. So it doesn't really surface it and it doesn't get too much attention. Whereas if we've got people that have said, look, I like the writing. I want to see what Paul's got to say. I want to see what Fathom's got to say and everything else. They can now be part of the distribution and, and they can get the value in their inbox. And we, yeah, we I mean, email them all the time. So it's great. Yeah. And I mean, hopefully that leads to people inviting me onto their podcast for interviews. <laughs> and conferences as well. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so funny. I'm so against everything I shouldn't be against uh, in business. Get off but... my lawn. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it works for me. It works for my brand. It always has, I guess. Um, what else? We I added a whole bunch of assets to the affiliate program, like ba- both graphics and content. So yeah. if any of our affiliate, because we send, we send out a lot of money every month to people who are our affiliates. And we, we were both talking about this the other week. And we're like, we could probably spend some time um, making the affiliate program better, which we're going to do uh, coming up. But for now... I added a bunch of content and graphics for the 
for all of our affiliates um, as kind of like the first step. And we're also, can we talk about this? Can I talk well, hold about on, this? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't, okay. don't skip past everything because I mean, this yeah. how we got there I think is really interesting. So we realized that our affiliates are doing really well and we sort of had it set for probably years now maybe mm-hmm. just over a year and it's been working really well and we haven't really come back to it because it's just working and what we realized is we should double down on what's working and so you yeah. you kind of said you're like oh we added content you didn't just add content you complete it was basically a, a wall of text is what it was before you completely redesigned the page you put images into the page and you basically made the first impression of our affiliate system truly representative of representative (laughs) truly represent what the affiliate system actually is you said look people are converting at 85 percent trial to conversion we have two point something or two percent churn rate people didn't know that before so you've you've highlighted all these key pieces of information that would make you say oh i'm going to actually you know recommend fathom this is totally worth it so we've doubled down on that and for good reason, because it's working. We don't constantly need to be thinking what's a new funnel, what's, I know we're not all the time, Mm -hmm. but in the back of my mind, I am thinking about funnels sometimes. Well, this one works, let's double down on it. And and you briefly touched on all the exciting things we're going to be doing. We're going to be revamping our affiliate system. We've got something that's never been done before in an affiliate system. And I don't know if it will make it live. We're not going to talk about it yet because it's, it's, yeah, if it doesn't happen, (laughs) it doesn't happen, it will sound bad. But, um, yeah, we've got some exciting stuff coming up. So I forgot I redesigned. I forgot it. I redesigned the affiliates page. I also redesigned oh, the features page. Oh yeah, you did. I do. Yeah, they're all, both I, amazing. We were talking about this just before we started recording. It feels like some weeks we were just not making any fucking progress, and it's just like Groundhog Day every single day. And then, like when I look back at all of our um, commits uh, on mm. like the repos that we work on, it's like, no wait, we actually did put a lot of shit uh out and, and fixed a bunch of stuff and, and made a bunch of stuff better i'm looking at the the features page too and i'm like that's actually pretty good so, so you totally are you're you're totally a personality type where you have a reset each day or maybe it's that groundhog day thing you just said it could be that yeah i mean it'd be cool I, to I be reset. bill murray i think <laughs> yeah I don't know. I think it's a personality thing because I really do. Yeah. I wake up and I don't feel the accomplishments from yesterday. I'm like just at zero. And yeah. I think it's just how some people are. And I just think, well, I mean, part what? of that drives us to keep doing more and keep producing and keep keep making stuff. But obviously, I think it can oh, be dude. pretty negative as well. We're Amazon. Every day is day, day one or day zero. That's what they say, isn't it? Maybe. They do say know. that. Jeff Bezos, I, day zero, I'm sure it is. If he wants to send me up to space in a penis rocket, I'm kind of not totally <laughs> against it. <laughs> so random. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. isn't William Shatner, is, he might have already gone up to space in a penis rocket by the time what? this airs. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, you, okay the, the Blue Origin spaceship thingy that Jeff Bezos owns and went up in is a it's big phallus. It's a fa- it's a hundred percent a phallus, and I don't think I think that was intentional. Oh God! Yeah, like, the, like a cyber truck to get some people talking about it and get the the press. Exactly. Here's my giant space penis. A, pe- a penis and a penis penisception. Yep. Exactly. Uh, what else? Oh my God! Uh, the the biggest thing. Well, <laughs> the biggest <laughs> ra- the biggest random thing is that we launched um, a couple NFTs last mm. week the fathom cats uh yep oh man that was that was fun i think so th- 
I guess the the reason why we 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 did this or the reason why we wanted to do this is because I think that the best way to learn about something is to do at least for myself for me personally I think you're probably pretty similar the best way to figure out how something works is to do it or to make it right and the the easiest way that I know to figure stuff out is just doing it so I've been interested in NFTs for a while you have two who are both dabble in blockchain and crypto stuff um we both we both made billions of dollars on doge let's be honest um and yeah (laughs) yeah so we decided to launch um some nfts based on our the cat drawings that i did on the website which is apparently according to my wife is what i do all day is draw cats (laughs) so i drew some pixel cats and we talked to a couple people that we know who are in the nft world and and buy a lot of nfts like jason who runs lemon squeezy um he was talking about how story is a really important aspect of nfts and i was like that's pretty cool because story is basically how i marketed and sold um Mm -hmm. for the last bunch of years so i wrote a whole bunch of stories for how the fathom cats came to exist um what each of their traits are how you can adopt them and we are we've added a a charity component to it which we do with a lot of the the silly things that we do um so we'll be donating money to the bcspca we've donated money to before and that's who i've adopted um all of my pets from as well you would too but you're in a different province so yeah yeah, so Fathom. Fathom Cats. It's interesting. I mean, to me, it is, like I said to you, it's like Pokemon cards or Yu-Gi-Oh cards. <laughs> Someone on Twitter said it gave adults the permission to be to kind of be childlike in a way again. But at the yeah. same time, yes, it's like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards or, or RuneScape party hats. But, it, I mean, we collect art. And I don't see... Obviously, when it's copyrighted stuff... And you say, for example, we took a... We had... Um, what was it? I saw someone with a stormtrooper. I thought that was interesting, the stormtrooper. I don't know how that works because how can you have an NFT that's copyrighted material? How can someone even sell that? It doesn't make sense to me. Well, but it doesn't. Like NFTs don't include NFTs don't don't include intellectual property unless it is written that they do. Like somebody could buy our logo as an NFT, but not own the rights to that. Lo- it's so weird. Like it's a, it's just an interesting That's thing. That's fine if the copywriter <laughs> makes it. I just, I guess I can't <laughs> get my head around the idea that I could literally, I could take a picture you've taken, sell it as an NFT. That doesn't make sense to me because it's your copyright. And yes, yeah. I, obviously I know that it doesn't give the copyright, but I didn't own it to begin with. So Yeah, it's like buying a postcard of the Mona Lisa or something. You have the uh, thing, but you don't own the, the rights to the original thing. You just have a copy of it. And then there's there's so much stuff with NFTs. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if um, see how yeah. that goes. See how that's gone. Wait a second. Hold on. We're doing this in the future. It exactly. Went in, it was interesting how it went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sure was. It was either amazing or not amazing. <laughs> and we'll just end editing. Yeah. I'll fix. It. I probably won't. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Oh my god, we have so much stuff, dude. Like there's we were about to podcast we're like i don't even know what we covered this week and then we started making a list of all the things we've done and it's like wow we have a lot you open sourced our phantom analyzer product let's talk about that for a sec 
So Phantom Analyzer was a website scanner that would identify spy pixels. Pretty cool. One person said to me, what's the difference between this and inspect element going on the network tab? And I <laughs> said, well, with our website, you literally enter the URL and it does the work for you. You haven't got to scroll through hundreds of, of URLs going through the network. It just says, you know, they're using Facebook, they're using Google and whatever else. And we ran this, we launched it last year in Halloween and we ran it for just under a year. The reason we actually retired this was because we've been doing some huge security um, upgrade. I guess I called them upgrades. And it's one of the parts of that is evaluating our attack surface area. So Phantom Analyzer never had a fire, well, it has a firewall, but it never had any kind of rate limiting or DDoS protection, that kind of thing. And because it was obviously in our account, someone could have attacked that and used up a bunch of resources that is, is shared within our account. And that would have then affected our main infrastructure, which would be, yeah. I mean, obviously if it happened, we can react to it. And it's something I had considered um, upgrading. But at the end of the day, I don't want to maintain that. I think if we can just take, we've taken it down, it's now offline. We haven't got to maintain that. And I thought, well, we haven't got it online anymore. People can learn from this. Why don't we open source it? And then the final piece for me was you being okay with releasing your design that you did. And you were fine with that. Yeah, Halloween design <laughs> and so we open sourced it and it's actually the first thing I think I've open sourced we have as of, as of recording we've um, got 76 stars and 18 forks and people have been very appreciative of it nice yeah I mean it's, yeah. it's I like too that we released it as is with all of the Halloween stuff like there's <laughs> yeah. floating cats and bats and shit like that and it's just like it, that's what it is five like, minute install it's, it's really good it's just yeah. plug and play so I think the final piece uh, that I think we should talk about before we wrap this show up is um, there's support. Things. Oh, there's two things. Oh, we disabled well, we MRR. MRR emails. <laughs> Which or... feels like a, it feels like the right thing to do, but it also feels a little sad because we used to get emails at the end of every day saying who had converted from trial to paid customer and what the, what the like the plan that that person signed up for which was nice because we would get we would get a just like a whack of emails at the end of every day and it was nice to kind of go through them but then you and i were just like deleting them because it's the, <laughs> yeah. it, it like there's volume there at the at the moment yeah. and ever increasing volume and so while it was nice it just it was it was it ended up becoming a, a time suck to uh delete them all and, and I think depriving ourselves of that dopamine, I think, is helpful too, because then you could yeah. get the dopamine, you know, building stuff. I think yeah. that's yeah, beneficial. Yeah, so it, it feels like uh, yeah, it feels like the right thing to do, but it also feels like uh, a, a marker in in the progress of Fathom, where we, we've got to a point where it's not just like a handful of emails every day. When like in the beginning, it's now yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter either. We kind of got to the point yeah. where it doesn't matter and we're actually looking more month to month. So we've obviously we've got financial forecasts. And I wanted to talk about this on Twitter, but I don't know if I have the audience for this. So I'm going to just loosely touch on this. Sure. The way we do our financial forecasts is, is actually different from a lot of startups. You know how people will do their percentage forecasting? Oh, I grew average of X percent, so I'm going to forecast that and then base my hiring around this percent. We're actually really, really, really conservative on the projections because we we take our last around, I think it's a year of um, MRR growth. Mm -hmm. And then we take the average of the actual number, not the percentage, the number. And then we forecast that on top. And so that includes months where 
well, from like a year ago, which were really small. So it brings the average down. So all of our projections and all of our spending, anything like that, is done on really, really low numbers. So the forecasts that we have are basically, obviously using the word guaranteed is, is obviously always going to be risky, but mm-hmm. they're effectively guaranteed to be higher than our forecasts. And it just, I think that's a cool way of doing it. And I think more people should do that. I've read countless stories of people forecasting and then not meeting their forecasts. Why? Because you were too optimistic. Yeah. And with finances, you can't be, you don't want to be, obviously you've got to be a bit optimistic, but it can really screw you over. And we've read stories. I think it was Josh Pigford wrote a really good blog post a while back. They got something, they got, they got a huge amount of money and they spent, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in 120 days. And at the end of it, he's like, this is obviously a huge mistake. But the reason that they ran into those problems was because they forecasted their growth to be a certain amount of money. Because, you know, he's mm-hmm. an optimist, right? He's a dreamer. And it didn't happen. And that's the kind of stuff that we want to avoid. We never, ever want to be expecting certain growth. Unfortunately, we don't have to. And when we speak to our investors and they say, why aren't you growing? They say, oh, yeah, we don't have investors. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think it's important to be... Um very conservative as it as it relates to spending because i never want to be spending more than we're making or wreck our margins because we thought something is going to happen and the thing with forecasting is it's guessing like it's guessing based on data but it's still a guess just like in january 2020 nobody could have assumed that there was going to be like a global pandemic that wrecked supply chains and and changed all sorts of other things. And it's like, it was good for a lot of tech companies. It was also really horrible for a lot of other smaller businesses like restaurants and that kind of thing. So, I mean, like it's good to have a plan and to, to move towards that plan and to be optimistic about that plan. But you also, it, it shouldn't be like razor thin as far as it has to meet these projections. Otherwise we're screwed. Lose money. (laughs) Cause that, that would also be stressful. To be honest, like emotionally, that would be stressful to do because then I would have to think about it, think about it all the time. Whereas with our projections, I don't really think about it because it's basically it matter, revenue growth in a worst case scenario. Yeah, 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 exactly, which is nice. So, yeah, I think people working in public and us able to see that has been beneficial. Yeah. I also was thinking last night, and I know this isn't on the list, you know, people will take venture capital and they're comfortable giving away a huge chunk of their company and everything else. We personally don't really like the idea of that, but we don't look down or we don't judge people. I think it's also a personal philosophy kind of thing because there are people that have different comfort levels with things like personal debt. Uh, I'm not talking about people that have to get it. I'm talking about people Mm -hmm. that would get it perhaps for luxuries or something. Everyone has different comfort levels. And even within business, everyone has a different risk tolerance. To me, I see people, I seen um, Notion. I think it was Notion. Did you see, you saw that? Yeah, they took a bunch of millions of dollars. (laughs) Hundreds of millions of dollars. And and all I can think when I see that, and I'm not a negative person, but all I can think of is you've got to make that back and more. And you've got people that are going to be hounding you to do that. I just think it's such a huge accountability that you've got with that. I don't see it as, oh, cool, I can spend all that money hiring and this is going to be great. I think you've got to make that money back. Yeah, it's it's added responsibility. Yeah. And for us, it never feels like we're trying to kind of get out of quicksand. And I just think, well, you're spending so much money. You're literally trying to get out of quicksand and things can go fantastically and you can become a unicorn and Notion could be a multi-billion dollar company. And they absolutely could. And that would be fantastic. They probably already are have that valuation. But I just couldn't live like that. 
And that's why I don't judge people anymore because some people love that stuff. Some people love living on, like, kind of living on the edge and really trying to push their company for growth. I couldn't do it, dude. That would kill me. Yeah, same. I, it, it feels like it would be a, a I, like I, I've said this um, in the past, probably not on this show, but I, I basically like being Peter Pan in business where I have as little <laughs> responsibility as possible. And that just feels like there would be responsibility there that I that I don't want to take on. Like I just, it's just like why I don't, why I try to avoid personal debt because it mm-hmm. feels like responsibility that I, I don't want to take on. So I'd rather live under my means and not have to take on that responsibility and deal with the consequences of that instead of trying to live at or above my means and then just hope that things continue to work. And just like the financial forecast, just hope that things continue to work out exactly as well or better than they have and then have to work so hard to maintain that or maintain that lifestyle or maintain that cost of living yeah I consequences no matter what you choose i think that yeah you just kind of touched on that yeah you see what yep. you pick to choose the consequences of having to live under i mean it's in business as well let's move away from personal a second in mm-hmm. business we could have taken millions of dollars and hired tons of developers but we've chosen not to and we've chosen to live with the consequences of not doing that but that is better for us mm-hmm. than living with the consequences like you reporting to an investor. I can't even picture that. Yeah. I mean, just, that's such a funny idea. Yeah. You're sending investor updates. So you would hate your life. You'd yeah, wake up and you'd just. Be- oh, it would be horrible. But I mean, we live, the consequences of that is we grow at a slower rate. Like we, we launch yeah, features yeah. slow. Like it takes us longer to do things because there's two of us. Exactly. And, and we live, we live with that. But we're okay with that because that's a choice that we've made and yeah like you said i understand why people make a choice in the other direction because i know the pros and the cons here yes for sure and then yeah the final thing something we've been talking about internally and i've been talking about publicly uh, when you when you price your business lower you attract a certain kind of customer and a lot of people know this and no shit sherlock that kind of customer if you're not careful or perhaps nearly always, will be higher maintenance. They'll be spending less money, but they'll expect lots and lots and lots of support. Yeah. We've seen it said publicly. We ran our own experiments. I mean, this was something, I don't think you ever wanted to do this kind of thing. It was more me just testing things out back in 2019 when we were really early days. Yeah. We didn't have the kind of fast growth we have now. We were, it was early days. And a few people asked us for, discounts like hobby plans do you have because people seem to think that the hundred thousand page not everyone but people think the hundred thousand page views is like something that's negotiable they don't realize that we factored in lawyers we factored in accountants we factored in salaries all of that stuff in 14 dollars. the page views on the entry plan are not as relevant as the page views on the like 10 million plan for example Mm -hmm. and so they asked for a hobby plan and in 2019, when we were much, much more limited and much smaller in our growth, we did offer, I offered a hobby plan and it was $6 a month. And I don't remember the specifics, but in the test, it was, it was over 80% of the customers that took that plan were higher maintenance. And by higher maintenance, I mean a higher amount of support tickets, but it wasn't, it was also like lots of weird support tickets as well. It wasn't just regular stuff mm-hmm. and so you do attract more support with lower prices so we have actually tested that despite despite the chap that emailed us to <laughs> give it, i'm not going to go into that they also um, all churned out i think 
okay, so I don't. Th- all of them did. I checked yesterday. All of them didn't, but a high percentage of yes. them churned out. And I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So yeah, a high percentage of them churned out as well. Yeah. So like, so there's that part as well. And so one of the cool things that we've pivoted to recently is one time we were thinking, oh, we well, you know we could outsource support. That could be done, and it may need to be done. And you literally launched like a contact page that kind of caught people in between our website and our support. And it gave them the the power to just help themselves if they needed to and get the answer they want right away. Mm-hmm. And that knocked down our support significantly. And, and you'll notice we've grown a ton in like the last two or three months. When you launched the contact page, maybe once, two months ago, I think it was yeah. two months ago. Yeah. The support has gone down despite our growth. And it kind of it brings an interesting point of we don't actually need to hire support because we can handle it between us very easily and we can actually take our margin and reinvest in product growth and actual company growth, like hiring content people. Mm-hmm. And it, as a business, that feels like such a cool thing to be able to do to actually grow the company rather than just on supporting the company because we, we can do it. Yeah, I, I'm excited I, about that. Yeah, and I think that there, there's something to be said for the the way that we kind of even just go through um, putting new features out that we make sure not just that, oh, look, we launched this feature. It's like that we, we could launch so many more features if we just willy-nilly threw features out um, for the sake of throwing them out. But like, Didn't think about them. Yeah, we go through and think, okay, well, if this is the way the feature works, how easy is it going to be for a customer? We test things with customers. And give a couple people access to things sometimes. We ask our customers, like when, when we launched um, the domains, the multi-tenant system, we talked to a bunch of customers who requested that. And I, we, I literally sent them screenshots. And I was like, does this look like this would achieve what you're trying to achieve? And then they all said, yes, add it to my account right now. And then <laughs> yeah. we did add it to their account that day um, for, for that thing. But we, we went through and we look at when we're putting a feature out. How is this going to impact support? How is this going to impact um, how we document it? How is this going to impact? Do we need to make like a video for it? Like we go through so many things to make sure that the volume of support stays as low as possible. Because I think that that's really important. Like it's not just a matter of, oh, let's put out as many features as we can. It's a matter of, okay, does this feature make sense? Is this feature going to be easy to use? Is this feature going to be something that all of our customers can get benefit from? Is this a feature that we can add? And we've done this, and I don't think we're going to stop doing this, is we keep adding features without raising our prices, right? Yep. Yeah. And it seems to be a trend with a lot of SaaS companies where they just keep adding things and then they charge more. And then it, you go from a company that was charging like 10 or 20 bucks a month on the lowest plan to like 50 to to $100 a month for the lowest plan. It's and, lazy. It's lazy, isn't yeah. it? Because that's the guaranteed way you can increase your MRR is by whacking up prices. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're going a different direction, which is kind of what we do anyways with more things. So, well, yeah, I mean, I mean a, lot of, a lot of people want, think that you've got to get the most customers and the only goal of business is to just try and absorb all of the customers on the market. It's not. And it's, you should lose lots of customers. You need to be clear about who you're wanting to serve. And I think that's where we've been really, if, we, if I don't say so myself, yeah. uh, we've been really good at being very clear, both of us, and we've talked about this a lot, about who we want to serve and who we don't want to serve. And that means that we're not going to get every single possible person on the market. Heck, there'll be people listening to this podcast where they wouldn't use Fathom because it's $14 or something like that. And that's fine. We, there's no bad blood between us. It's just that's not our 
That's not our market because we can't sustain that in the long term with, with the way we're running our business. And that's fine. Yeah, because there's thousands of other customers who are like, that, that's nothing. <laughs> or you should be charging more kind of thing. And it's funny too, because we get so much from all the people who want us to have a lower plan. They try to give us business advice about it, yeah. why we should. And it, I just, I, I find it, it's just such a psychologically interesting thing where people give advice on something where they only have like one puzzle piece out of 500 pieces. Yes, exactly. And it's just, it's interesting that people are like, well, you, you can increase your business if you just did this. And it's like, well, there's a, there's a whole backside (laughs) of the business that that we know and and, and are part of and run and, and have strategized about that. Obviously we are open to people giving to, to getting advice and listening to customers always that fathom exists because we listen to customers. But at the same time, it's like, it's hard to take advice from somebody who has one puzzle piece out of 500 puzzle pieces. <laughs> yeah. So. And they, yeah. They think that it's tricky because I get, there's the ones that genuinely want to help, but there's the ones that have this, this kind of arrogant tone about it as if we're stupid because we're yeah. missing the market. <laughs> like yeah. you say, it's a, it's a whole bunch of puzzle pieces. Yeah. Um, it's like, okay, bro. Well, <laughs> I I'd start a company that, that does the things you're doing and then that will be, that'll be a win for everyone. One other thought, and the final thought, we'll wrap up because we're at 37 sure. minutes, but Holy um, Andrew, Andrew Gazdecki, I think that's his name, the micro-acquirer guy, yeah. um, he speaks about how he stayed on support for an incredibly long time and growing his company because he loves talking to his customers and stuff. And I kind of took a look at us. Do, do, you think, like, do you think we'll ever stop talking to customers? No, I think at some point we will probably talk to customers slightly less. Like we will have to, even the way that we minimize support, there's just going to be a, we're, we're going to run into, there's just volume. Okay. Like, I think that it may happen, but I still think that uh, you and I, like, I think it makes sense for you and I to stay doing some support. But I also think that we both enjoy it to some degree. Like, I don't want to sit and do support eight hours a day. Like, you don't either. Yeah, yeah, but I think that there's a happy medium where we can still, like, I can get a pulse of what's happening in on the the business side or just the general support side. You can get a pulse of what's happening on the on the technical side, and I think that that's helpful. I think that it's it's useful to to do that. I think people. It's also funny because like we get so many replies and support. Like I can't believe like a founder replied, and not only that, I can't believe a founder replied so quickly because like we try <laughs> yeah. to smash out support tickets um as quickly as we can humanly get to them and so i think that just builds um goodwill with with our customers that like hey we're like we want to take it like we prioritize and i've said this a million times we prioritize existing customers because they're the most important people because they're the ones who are giving us money and it's literally i've now so i in the morning with my breakfast i'll um i'll hop on literally 15 20 minutes it takes me I yeah. will clear out what I can, and then you wake up, and there might be a little bit more. It, the support volume is really, really manageable, and it's really nice, and I'm so mm-hmm. glad that we've set up like this. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Anything else you want to congratulate us on? <laughs> Here are some other reasons why Fathom is awesome. Um, no, I think that was a, that was a lot. Like it, it's fun. I kind of like doing episodes like this because I think it does help. Uh, both of us hopefully it helps people listening too but i think it does help both of us kind of sit and understand that we are that like things are happening on a daily weekly monthly basis and it's not just groundhog day every <laughs> yeah. single day where where nothing is moving i think 
a considerable amount of things are moving. And I mean, dude, like if you log in a Stripe and look, like things are definitely moving for yes, us. Yeah. But we don't we don't take the time to, I guess, like we know that that's happening, but we don't consciously absorb the fact that that's happening and and sit with it. So hopefully people find that I, like if you've listened to the end of the episode and you enjoyed this, then I, I'm really happy about that, about that as well. So yeah. All right. Till next time. Bye-bye. On the use fathom analytics <laughs> show above board. Anyways, I'll cut all that out anyway. So whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh.